The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey Jake, you're fired. You have 15 minutes to get at your desk. By the way, I'm also a wizard. Uh, hey Holden, I worked for a defunct website, so I'm already familiar with this story, and I'm your bruiser, Jake. Holden decides to say nothing. Jake will remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody, it's our episode on Telltale Games. The rise and the incredible, incredible fall of Telltale Games. It is going to stand, I feel like this is going to be a story that is talked about in college courses, about game the business of game making mm-hmm. about uh you know it, it is it is such a great interesting tale i love stories like these i am so saddened for all the people who lost their jobs back in 2018 i it's not i don't take pleasure in it but i do i am just absolutely from an academic perspective fascinated by how a company becomes this huge and this popular and this big of a deal and then just faster than you can blink, crumbles to the ground. And it it is a Cupid story. It absolutely is. It is a fly too close to the sun tale that as old as time. Uh, Actually, hold it. It was Icarus who flew too close to the sun with his waxen wings. Cupid is some fuck baby that just shoots you in the dick with an arrow. Well, I would argue, though, that Telltale Games did shoot us in our collective dicks with a Walking Dead arrow, and we thought we were in love with them. And then we became forlorn very quickly, uh, for sure. I did not expect this episode to be as personal as it was for me, (laughs) Uh, because this ties into so many things that I was a part of. Like, Telltale people are Jake people from just, you know, DOS adventure gaming fans from in the late 90s who became internet, web, digital distribution vanguards who kept the flame of goofy adventures alive to way too online meme obsessed weirdos in the uh, mid 2000s. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy from Penny Arcade was a character in one of their games. <laughs> I mean, they, Hey, they also predicted how shitty the Game of Thrones TV show was going to get with their <laughs> release of game. That was, I think, the first time I did a Game of Thrones thing that sucked. 
uh, was when Lexi and I grabbed that game. What is your personal relationship? So, so yes, digital media for sure. What were you going to say, Jake? Uh, the rise of web culture, the rise yes. of comic book culture. The rise of digital downloads. I think that's one of the biggest things that really so much of their success is attributed to an episodic model that only could happen, only could work in a situation where everyone's starting to digitally download games. And I do feel like this might have been one of the first games I digitally downloaded was Walking Dead Season 1. Oh, I downloaded, uh, like, the first Sam and Max episode because I was so oh, eager. Wow. Yeah, from their website, before there was even, you know, platforms, before Steam, before any of that. Jake, I think you owe me now a gush about your personal relationship with adventure games. I think you are then, if you were excited about the Sam and Max game coming out uh, by Telltale, that means you have a way steeper history with adventure games than I ever did. Oh, well, okay. First of all, suburban kid, every dad had an overpriced PC that... Uh, all of the that's ki- what every- I didn't have that I mm. never had this relationship that you had go on so you know I'd go to a friend's house and whatever friend had the best computer would have a you know Sam and Max Day of the Tentacle Indiana Jones uh, whatever Atlantis all these games usually with CD sound and all these colorful VGA graphics I was absolutely the kind of dorky kid that loved the just stupid humor of Monkey Island games and Sam and Max you know And when you think about how much Telltale wanted to keep that dream alive, where like in a Monkey Island game, the puzzle is, oh, you have to open this valve. And the secret is you have to use a monkey because that makes it a monkey wrench. Wanka wanka. Versus like what they actually succeeded with, which is, hey, you got to dig up this dead dog and rub its carcass because its brain is chipped. And it's the only way to get through the door because your fucking friend's dying, man. (laughs) Is kind of incredible, but that exact level of post-Monty Python, uh, irreverent yet very safe humor was my fucking bread and butter. That (laughs) Clooney Tunes snarky Mm -hmm. bullshit, I still look on with pure pride and joy. And the fact that Telltale got its start trying to get anyone else to care about that was a huge mistake. Yeah, for sure. They were essentially a genre long forgotten that is what Telltale decided would be the future, and they were correct in a certain way, and then, of course, eventually incorrect in another way. But we'll get into how that all went down. But, but either I've way, played, or at least tried, a ton of, over the years, Telltale games. I've definitely tried uh, The Bone, a uh, great cow race game when it came out, Sam and Max when it came out, uh, Strong Bad for on the WiiWare, I gave it a whirl. Wow. The Tales of Monkey Island, I gave it a whirl. The Back to the Future game, the Puzzle Agent series, which is a weird little like you were naming all of the old ones, but like pre Walking Dead because I was their target audience. I was insanely (laughs) online all the time. I loved fucking comic books and dumb humorous content. Like I was their guy, and even then, it was just so rough around the edges that I kind of like stopped caring for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, because they didn't. Clean their up their act for sure for a while. Super duper on board with iOS gameplay. They were fucking mm. dick swingers on the App Store when that first came around. <laughs> and again, I was my I was a teenager, not a teenager, whatever. I was an, a late teenager with an iPod Touch, and I fucking loved their games. And it wasn't until The Walking Dead came out that all of a sudden everyone else cared about them. It's like finding out a band you liked in high school all of a sudden finally broke through with like a big hit. 
So I remember when Walking Dead came out, we got it. I was still living with Kissel. I remember we played through the first couple of episodes together. I actually didn't get through all of season one, but I do remember some really big moments, especially that car ride in the first episode and what happens there. Mm -hmm. Some really, really impactful moments that happen in that game that really did change the game when it came to adventure stuff and everything. And uh, that feeling of, I kind of get, I get a lot of anxiety over when they give you options and they tell you like your options will predict whether people may live or die. I get a lot of gamer anxiety. I think that it turns me off a little bit, but I definitely appreciate it for what it was. I was a little blown away when everybody was talking about how, crazy good it was to the point where it was like number one on all these top 10 lists and everything but still I got it I understood it I appreciated it then the all the other releases started happening and I do I did pick up I picked up Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. we played the first I think one or two episodes and fell off of it that's kind of always been my relationship with Telltale Games I'll pick up something that they did a license for that is an interesting property to me I'll give it a whirl, but I'll never follow through with it, never continue to play the episodes and be like, oh, I should pick that back up. It's really hard for an adventure game to really pull me in. The last one that did it for me would have to be Life is Strange, the very original series. But even the follow-ups to Life is Strange, like the prequel and the sequel stuff, I, has not gripped me nearly as much as that original did. But I do, I did get it to a certain degree with Telltale. And then... My whole relationship with Telltale was what I was hearing in the news, was what mm-hmm. I was, the reports I was hearing about. And, and it was happening in real time for me. Every week I was hearing some new news story on a podcast or on Kotaku or something like that that was like insane, you know? And it all did start with what? Wait, they got that, 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 and that license? Yeah. And they're going to make all these games at once? This doesn't sound good. It was almost comical when they announced more and more how many licenses. Yeah, like every week. First, it started with every week. We oh, they also got this, this, and this license. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, Minecraft, Batman, Batman. Yeah, Minecraft. And, Jesus. Yeah, and they're trying to put it out, and then the games would release, and all I would really hear was lukewarm. It's okay, I guess. It's fine. And then I started hearing the crazy news stories, like not as insane as maybe Gearbox. But where you're just like, what did they, what's going on? Wait, what? They're all, they're just completely done? Yeah. It was crazy. Oh, we forgot to, uh, one we forgot to mention, which is the only one I actively played through episode by episode, like as it was coming out and truly loved it, which was uh, Tales from the Borderlands. Oh, really? Fantastic. And really loved it. It's one of the few ones that are still available kind of after the, the fallout. If you can get a hold of Tales from the Borderlands, it's kind of hard. Like, you might have to track down a physical disc, but oh my god, it is a fantastic game. Especially now that you're playing Borderlands. And we haven't talked about Wolf Wolf Among Us, which was, I love Fables. I'm going to give us a little spoiler alert. We have that on the calendar. I'm really excited to talk about the comic book series Fables. That one I just, oh, also another thing. Let's Plays fucked him over. Because even the people that would have taken the dive could just... Really, you know, if you, you let your eyes it. go fuzzy and you don't care that. And OK, once your eyes get fuzzy and you. Are we talking you, about, so we have to take a bunch of drugs for this scenario? Jay? No, you just kind of like <laughs> surrender to the fact that they're talking to people out in not the same order you would have talked to people. And after you play a couple of these games, a lot of audiences learned that, you know, the choices, quote unquote, matter 
but only in ways that uh, end up funneling back to the same results, give or take. Otherwise, you kind of don't have that much. There's only so many different ways that your choices can actually make a game different. Mm. And so once you understand that, like, okay, someone, there's like that character is going to show up or that character is going to show up, but both of them are going to fail to kill the bad guy (laughs) in the last act because you have to kill the bad guy because this is a video game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once people saw through that illusion a little bit, it was harder to justify the expense. But it's still, the illusion when it happened was magical. And the other big thing they had going, at least for Walking Dead Season 1, was a game with the emotional depth and impact. And this was at a time, I wrote a story for Dorkly, uh, a listicle for Dorkly about, you know, the top emotional, the game games that make you cry, I believe, or something mm-hmm. like that. And... This was, of course, listed as one of the big ones. And I think it was a big turning point in the industry that, oh, yes, and it's not the first time anyone's done it in games, but still, it was a huge trend at the time, I think, and still sort of around, like, oh, games can have a big emotional moment in them. Games can make you cry. And mm-hmm. and they were on the forefront of that, and I think that's another reason why they really, really just right place, right time, everything lined up during Walking Dead Season 1, and then they just held on to that happening, that moment in their history as a company too too hard and decided that that was the way to go full stop. And I think that's where they started to run into problems. They almost cracked the code where if you talk to developers and you talk to especially the three founders in interviews, they'll talk about interactive storytelling, which is this unbroken line, not cut scenes. Not like writing for video games, but the idea of a truly in, uh, a narrative that a story you are trying to tell that the audience can still participate in. Not just an excuse to get you between shooting sections and driving sections. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Going mm-hmm. all the way back from, you know, Zork to King's Quest to mm-hmm. you know, LucasArts Adventure Games. The idea is there's a story they are telling and through the computer you are being able to participate and actively take part in it. And the weaknesses and the ways that you get kind of kicked out of that story by the gaminess of it. Yes, the puzzles. By puzzles and stuff uh, was just, it just never quite worked. And through, we'll get into the story, but through a sheer like chance and opportunity with Walking Dead, they were finally able to, for the first time, well, not, you know, I'm, yes, obviously someone probably pulled it off first, but in a very public way, tell a story, a meaningful story, an affecting story that the players still felt they were participating in. Yes. And then they went off the rails. <laughs> then they went off the rails in spectacular fashion. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about everything. Let's get into it. The rise and fall of Telltale Games, and it all starts with LucasArts. George Lucas and Star Wars, ladies and gentlemen. George Lucas wanted to branch out in 1979 to other avenues of entertainment and establish the Lucasfilm Computer Division, which had a department for computer games, but it also had another for graphics. Now, eventually, the graphics division would break off in 1982 and eventually become Pixar. That's a story for another day. One that we've kind of told. (laughs) Yes, one that we've already sort of told. The games group, however, worked with Atari in order to get video games out the door. Since Atari had the rights for Star Wars at the time, weirdly enough, the team was forced to develop new IPs and ended up doing action games like Ball Blazer. That's the game where a little man would set his 
balls on fire, and you had to try to put it out in time. That's, or am I thinking of beat him and eat him? Nobody's thought of beat him and eat him. <laughs> you had spent too much time on the internet on video games media to even yes. have an idea what beat him and eat him is. Custer's Last Stand is another one. No, I'm kidding. They did not this make either of those Is this a Sean Baby games. article? Why are we mentioning these games? <laughs> beat him and eat him. I'm saying it again. <laughs> And uh, they, they did not make that game, though. And another game called Rescue on Fractalis in the mid-'80s. Their first adventure game, however, was Labyrinth, which is based on the film of the same name in 1986. I, uh, I want to go look at that. I'm sure it looks terrible, but I did not realize that that was their first adventure game. Either way, the first game they both published and developed by Lucasfilm Games was the adventure game Maniac Mansion, the big... Turning point. We got scum. We got scum. 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 I forgot what it stands for. Let me look it up. It's scum. Scum. Recently, scum. I went back. Well, of course, Day of the Tentacle released remastered. One of the coolest things about Day of the Tentacle is within the game, you can walk up to a computer console and play Maniac Mansion in, in its entirety. So I got to play a little bit of both of those games and did enjoy them. More from, again, a academic perspective, but I, it is really cool. The humor is a lot of fun in those games, and it is really cool to see how, how this is real. These were really the most popular PC games back in the day. In 1990. Oh, do you want to hear something dumb? Yeah. I want to hear the dumbest thing you could possibly say right now. Uh, poo poo pee pee. My diaper is full of <laughs> of, of brown gold. Uh, Do you no. want to hear me say something really stupid right now? Potato. In my head, there is just a part of your brain constantly screaming that, and it is yeah. like Wolverine's <laughs> healing factor. Just like something yeah. you gotta something that hurts and burns at you, and you gotta fight it all the time. I'm no joke going to do a stream soon called Annoying no I'm going to do a ASMR, but I'm going to do RMSA, and I'm just going to do the most annoying noises I can possibly think of into a microphone for an entire Twitch stream. Jake, go on. Um, save it as a bonus for the Patreon, and okay. I will help you with that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we'll do some. Uh, I'll be in the back just banging on pots and pans while I do it. <laughs> uh, SCUM stands for Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion which was the game engine that went on to do all of LucasArts' main adventure games until they made the jump to 3D with Grim Fandango and uh, Escape from Monkey Island. Oh, interesting that they made a jump to a different, uh, a different uh, what you call it, tool, dev tool. Mm. Yeah, that, that's going to come up later. In 1990, the Lucas companies were reorganized into what we know today, LucasArts Entertainment Company, which included Industrial Light and Magic and Skywalker Sound as well. However, ILM and Skywalker Sound were consolidated in Lucas Digital Limited. And finally, LucasArts was freed to become the name of the official games division at LucasArts and, uh, or at, at uh, Lucasfilm, whatever. George Lucas, he's a nerd. He's really into it. And they relocated to an office in San Rafael, California, and really hit their stride at this point with adventure games in the late 80s. The, I'm sure you might know and love uh, as well into the, as into the 90s with games like Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, and The Secret of Monkey Island. Big favorites. And uh, so, yeah, by the time they got to the 2000s, the demand for the adventure game market super dried up, and the company shifted its focus towards Star Wars games. This greatly affected three key people. Troy Molander and Kevin Bruner, who were the guys who gave us Grim Fandango, and Dan Connors, who worked on Sam and Max Freelance Police. Oh, I have a just a, 
in a, the press release that they LucasArts dropped in like the early 2000s was just so brutal because it just said, after careful evaluation of current marketplace realities and underlying economic considerations, we've decided that this is not the appropriate time to launch a graphic adventure on the PC. Because that was the main issue. Uh, Grim Fandango and Escape from Monkey Island just did not do well as a actual profit getter because A, graphic adventures needed graphics. They needed assets. They needed tons and tons of audio and visual elements, so it made them expensive. They also needed complex inputs such as mouse and cursor and keyboard because, you know, you're pushing, you're pulling, you're gathering, you're managing inventory. So it just wasn't sustainable in the current market, especially as consoles were just booming at that point and the PC market was shrinking. Again, this was pre-Steam. And the idea was... You know, you wouldn't go to uh, GameStop to get, like, boxed PC games. That market was evaporating. So there just really wasn't the economics there to support this beloved genre. Uh, you know, you couldn't do it at high fidelity at that small margins. It just was a real kick in the dick. Especially because these games are super immersive, mm. uh, super endearing. And, you know, the, for the people who did play them... There's just so much, you know, you go through so many steps, you solve all these puzzles, you talk to your friends about like, hey, what do I do with this weird candle that I found in the cave? You know, it's this very involving genre, but it just did, it just could not work for LucasArts at that point. Now, I think this really just hit me, Jake, Mm -hmm. that the story of Telltale actually begins and ends with a massive layoff of around the same amount of people, which I cannot believe (laughs) is true. But in 2004, LucasArts gets a new president named Jim Ward, and with him, canceled two adventure game sequels, Full Throttle 2, and the game I just mentioned that Dave Connors was working on, Sam and Max Freelance Police. Dan, sorry. Dan was a new employee, essentially, at that point. So Sam and Max Freelance Police gets canceled. They lay off over 200 employees, and that leads, and, and which didn't include, by the way, Bruner, Connors, and Molander, but because of all of that going down, they decide to leave and found Telltale Games in July of 2004. Bruner said, We had all this ambition about what next-generation adventure games could look like, and then we lost the context of where we could pursue that. So we just decided to start our, on our own. And the idea was focused, like you just said, more on story, less on overly complex puzzle designs that turns a lot of gamers off. Uh, and hence the name Telltale. They wanted, again, that was all focused on, they want to get the story out, and they want to get more into branching narrative paths and an episodic sodic format. Also, just want to mention briefly, I got a lot of this, these quotes and story points from two different articles, one from US Gamer and another from Game Informer, and just wanted to give them shout-outs on their comprehensive articles. Go check them out. The Rise and Fall of Telltale Games is actually the title of both of those articles. So uh, really, really fascinating stuff. Of course, we pulled from some other things, but yeah, those, those were big, big ones for me. So Connors wrote in the first company press release, when it comes to storytelling in games, we see a solid foundation provided by the high-quality adventure game legacy of Infocom, Sierra, and LucasArts. Our goal is to build on that with the new and exciting opportunity that is brought to the market by the phenomenal story-focused licenses that exist in film, comics, literature, and television. 
Now, the difficult thing for them is, you know, big the big bangers for LucasArts were Indiana Jones, you know, these different licensed properties. But at the beginning, since they're such small dogs in this giant pond, and dogs really shouldn't be in the pond, really fish should probably be in the pond, they were unable to get a lot of licenses. Bruner said, early on at Telltale, we tried to get regular publishers involved, but traditional publishers weren't interested in this kind of content that we wanted to make. We had to do it ourselves, and we had to make the most of what we had. Bruner also said in the early part of Telltale, there were definitely times when where we were like, we don't know if we're going to survive. Those were miserable meetings. But then we got a little bit more success under our belt, and it was no longer the case that we needed to do that. So uh, let's break down these three guys. Troy Molander is kind of uh, just a clean-cut uh, white guy. He both he was primarily focused as uh, the chief operating officer who, uh, you know, made relationships with third party service providers, worked with investor relations and really just tried to build the e-content delivery operations like uh, Telltale basically built their website from scratch to start distributing these games on their own. And it was uh, he was basically kind of building the foundation. Then we have. Dan Connors, who was... Is he the bad boy? No, he was the more gregarious <laughs> guy. Oh, okay. He gives GDC talks about the episodic nature, the distribution model. He was the digital distribution visionary guy. It was his idea to make everything online, to make things episodic, to make things available across multiple platforms, including iOS, consoles, and PC. And he was kind of the middle foundation. And then on top of this kind of you know, business was Kevin Bruner and he was is the technical. Is he the bad boy? He is a, he has this weird ginger goatee that is thicker <laughs> than any goatee I've ever seen. It's like a solid That's hemisphere bad. of fuzz. Kind of, kind of has like a Jamie Heineman from Mythbusters without the beret kind of feel. <laughs> and he was the dev guy. And he was the one who actually built the Telltale tool from the ground up. He was the one who built this 3D game engine that was capable of handling branching dialogue and story beats. And uh, he built it on a programming language called Lua, which was easily convertible to different platforms. So, uh, you know, you build it once in the Telltale tool and you, you can export it to run on basically anything, which if you know a lot about, you know, uh, programming, stuff like Java, stuff that can run on anything means that it can never quite run perfectly on everything. Yeah, and we'll talk about more of the holes in the Telltale tool as the story develops. It really becomes way more of a hindrance for them than a help. Initially, it's a help, but unfortunately, they didn't put the infrastructure in place to adapt, to evolve, to move on to another tool, and that is severely going to kneecap them in the future. The legends are true. Our overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. 
Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. The first game that they put out is, by the way, Telltale Texas Hold'em, which is essentially a big beta test for their tool. It's literally just an excuse to see if the 3D engine works, if the dialogue tools work, if the sound engine works. It's just proof that they can make something with this engine and release it for consumption. Mm -hmm. It should be noted that LucasArts, as well as these three guys, were based out of the Bay Area. They were based out of the Silicon Valley Uh, San Francisco, that kind of high-powered tech culture. And so very early on, they were able to secure millions of dollars of venture funding. So their initial investments weren't from a video game publisher. They weren't from sales. It was people that invest in companies, people that invest in startups, gave them their seed money, who didn't really have an understanding of how video games really worked. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, they were I guess, I don't know, on the chopping, they were in the red to some very uh, unsympathetic people. Yeah. But that was Silicon Valley. Those were the people you had to deal with if you needed, if you wanted seed capital. So next came a series based off the comic book Bone written by Jeff Smith. I think that is definitely an episode we're going to need to do in our future. So we won't get too far into Bone right now. But the first episode of that franchise by Telltale comes out at the end of 2005. Bone out from Boneville, followed by the second episode in April of 2006. The Great Cow Race, Jake mentioned earlier playing it, with nothing else after that. It never officially canceled. They just never returned to the property, which I'm sure frustrated a lot of Bone fans. And there are many. I I read Bone. I fucking love Bone. So, yeah, I would be frustrated See, if I had played those. This is where the initial trepidations come in. This is where they kind of had issues is because these things have to run on everything from a PC to an Xbox to the Nintendo Wii to whatever. And they're an extremely small team. This is, an you know, maybe six to ten people putting out these games, not counting contractors and voice actors and all that. They're very rudimentary. Like, when you think of Bone, you think of this lush, inky comic book world. But then when you play a game like Bone out of Boneville... It's chunky. It's weird looking. It's chunky. There's these flat polygons. There's only so many characters on screen. And it's, it's just underwhelming, especially if, as an adventure game fan, you have grown accustomed to these incredibly lush, brilliantly animated sprites that had dominated the field up until then. Their first big goal was really to release a new Sam and Max series in an episodic format. And they end up managing to get the license for that in 2005 after the creator, Steve Purcell, creator of the Sam and Max franchise, waited for the rights to expire at LucasArts. So it was a bit of a dirty backdoor deal, kind of, in a way. Sam and Max saved the world, also saved the company, as well with its devoted fan base. David Grossman, the lead designer on this game, said, We work small enough that we don't need to have the license that's the biggest movie of the year because we're spending $20 million on the game, and so everybody in the world has to buy it in order to do it. If we just have kind of a small devoted fan base, we can make something that's kind of personal and fun. I'd say we're not really specifically aiming at a small audience or anything. We just kind of tend to like licenses that are maybe a little bit peculiar that maybe wouldn't work for other companies. If only they had kept that concept in mind, maybe they wouldn't be in the position there. And this is antithetical to everything Telltale will do after they start gaining some success. Well, they 
did get uh they did do CSI games and that was one of the biggest shows on yes. TV but that was contract work from Ubisoft and literally nobody from all the interviews and all the resources I looked at nobody cares to even mention them it's barely talked about again I think it was a deal that they made just to keep the company moving forward it wasn't a bigger part of their vision they also did Sam and Max Beyond Time and Space after the first Sam and Max game they put out. This is another hit for the company and is how they managed to enter the console business with a port to the Wii and Xbox 360 in 2008. Then they went for the other niche, niche dedicated audience franchises that kept them in the business over the next five years, including Wallace and Gromit and Homestar Runner. Again, totally perfect for what Mr. Grossman is saying. Let's get, because Homestar Runner and Wallace and Gromit, perfect for that. Tiny, little fan bases, but big enough fan bases to be, that are super devoted to continue, you know, t- continue to support what they're doing. What, how was the Homestar Runner game? I, I, again, another episode in the making. That Homestar Runner we should definitely do at some point. Uh, the Homestar Runner game was, if you're a fan of Homestar Runner, it's literally hours upon hours upon hours of more Homestar Runner content. And okay. I only I downloaded one episode on my roommate's Wii back in Brooklyn when I was when I first moved to the city. But I ended up just watching the rest as a let's play because it just kind of was easier <laughs> than going through the rigmarole and like sitting. you said earlier, like yeah. you, <laughs> that you didn't actually give them yeah the money. The Sam and Max game, all of these games are like small, kind of quirky franchises, but that doesn't cover the expenses and how far they're in the hole when they've had these super venture capitalists invest in the game. So they still need, like, even though these games are enough to keep them going and they're making inroads on all these new platforms of digital distribution, they're proving that it can work, but they aren't successful yet. And that's like kind of still looming overhead. They're not in the clear yet. A big boon, however, though, for them, and something that they were a bit ahead of the curve on was the fact that digital downloads were just now becoming a thing, and that was, again, perfectly suited for their episodic release schedule and for putting out these smaller things. When they release them on time, which they were having trouble with. Which they never quite got a handle on. LucasArts even came back around to them after Jim Ward was shown the door and Daryl Rodriguez took over as president and... They wanted to go back to the old ways. And so with LucasArts, Telltale Games does Tales of Monkey Island for five episodes in 2009, which I think must have been pretty vindicating for them to have their own company that was kind of shunning them, bring them back to the fold. So inside the company, they make two hires that really change the course of the entire company. Uh, One is Jake Rodkin, who was a longtime fan of adventure games and was a huge dork. Uh, He started the website AdventureGamers.com. And in fact, the Telltale founders reached out to him for consulting whenever they tried to do stuff with the Sam and Max franchise. They just wanted to get a handle and establish an online relationship with the very vocal, if small, uh, LucasArts diehards that were out there. Uh, Eventually... He saw a job listing that they needed a web designer, and he actually got hired by them. Uh, That experience then got him on as a UI designer at Sam and Max. And because it was such a small team and everyone was wearing so many different hats, he eventually got to be part of writing teams and project leads, and he was just fully ingratiated into the company. Another hire about two years later was Sean Vanneman. 
And mm. Sean uh, was actually, uh, he found an internship at Disney uh, working in their creative development uh, uh, house, which did a lot of weird things. Disney was really trying to push to be a major video game publisher at the time. Do you remember when uh, Epic Mickey came out? People really, yeah. get, you know, they were really pushing hard for Epic that Mickey. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. He didn't get to work on that. He worked on the thing that almost became the thing that almost became Epic Mickey. But he got kind of sick and tired of uh, not having published anything. And so he tried to work at Insomniac. He tried to work at Irrational. He tried to work at, at EA. But Telltale was quicker on the draw and he got to work for them. And within six months, he had a product with his name with his name out the door. They worked on games like uh, Puzzle Agent, which is kind of this unsung take on the I guess Professor Layton series where there's an adventure game you're talking to various villagers and then you solve instead of like adventure game puzzles really more pen and paper contained single screen puzzles Uh, and it's a great game it uses art by Graham Annabelle who is a legendarily great cartoonist and illustrator who was on staff as an art director at Telltale at the time it's kind of a Twin Peaks meets every man story i don't know it's it's i really enjoyed it even though it is it was running like cartoon graphics on a 3d engine which was the telltale tool and it was kind of weird but it was on the tales of monkey island project that uh jake and sean finally worked together sean recalls that jake uh heard about a really shitty puzzle in episode three and went up to confront was it did i say jake or sean Jake confronted Sean over a very dumb puzzle about uh, where Guybrush had to put lipstick on a manatee to make it more fuckable to get past a (laughs) uh, progression blocker. (laughs) So from there, they got very lucky because they were in between projects and managed to pitch a prototype to the founders. Um, It basically seemed like some kind of escape room deal they describe it in a podcast episode on the idle thumbs network idle thumbs is a popular video game podcast with developers uh that jake is a contributor to and it was like a man and a woman trapped in a zoo and you know they were just able to think of novel ways to use the dialogue and storytelling tools that they already had and try and expand the company's uh scope Uh, That project was scrapped, but it still gave them insider status and change agent. I don't know. How do I describe this? They were kind of chosen by the founders to be kind of rebellious, experimental guys within the company. Yeah. And that let that gave them a little more leeway and gave them a little more trust with the decision makers at Telltale. Of course. And now happening around that while all this is going on. A giant turning point happens for Telltale with the acquisition of some major licenses through, via a deal with NBC Universal. They get Jurassic Park and Back to the Future. For Back to the Future, they got Trilogy co-creator, co-writer, and co-producer Bob Galen to consult on the property and pulled in Christopher Lloyd to voice Doc Brown with him and Michael J. Fox allowing for their likenesses to be used. The game sells incredibly well and is a with a big marketing push by Universal. And after that comes Jurassic Park, the game, one year later, which had branching story paths and was the first Telltale game in which a player could be killed. And that is a major, major factor for this company. Especially because, and I never knew this, there was a no-kill rule up until then from the LucasArts days. Right. So that was actually a big 
barrier to break. And honestly, you didn't see it a lot in games up until that point. You didn't see a lot of characters truly dying in a game. It just, that was a big, now that was very novel for the time period. Now I feel like people, you know, of course you have FF7, things like that. But, you know, it's not something done a ton. Therefore, it was pretty monumental when it happened. And the game Jurassic Park focused even less on puzzles, even more on story and action, incorporating quick time events that the company would use for many games after that. So here we go. Episodic, characters getting killed, quick time events, digital downloads, big license. It's all coming together. It's all the perfect storm for what's about to happen. A lot of former Telltale devs will point to Jurassic Park as a turning point for the company and the way they handled stories. The game itself was not received well. I forget what particular... They had a million deals going on. They had a deal with GameTap, which was like this Netflix for video games that nobody ever really used. Although I'm sure at least one person in our audience still has a GameTap account and they're writing a Twitter message at me right now telling me <laughs> I'm an idiot. And GameTap is a wonderful service, but whatever. <laughs> and so the Jurassic Park game was released all at once. It wasn't released episodically, and a lot of people didn't know what to do with it. It kind of tells the story of what happened to Dennis Nedry's shaving can full of dino DNA, uh, which is funny. a hanging thread in a, for a long time with the series. And the Back to the Future game also, if you're a fan of Back to the Future and you haven't checked out the Back to the Future game, it is the spiritual sequel to Back to the Future. It is pretty much canonically... Back to the Future to fans of the series. That's cool. I might have to check it out. I finally sat down and played through that Ghostbusters game because the mm-hmm. remaster hit the PlayStation Store on sale. And it was a quite a joy to get to just interact, feel like you're a part of the gang. And, you know, it's very dated. I'm sure Back to the Future feels very dated as well. But it is kind of surreal to get to interact with that story and everything and, and to feel like I'm enjoying a sequel to the series. But uh, Rodkent and uh, Vanneman... Uh, while this is happening, they get put on a project that they kind of hate, uh, which is the famous Telltale Games uh, Poker Night at the Inventory, mm. which is, uh, you know, if you were online at the time, this was ju- you know one of the first big almost meta Steam games where winning stuff in the game got you uh, swag in Team Fortress 2 and all this stuff. You were a anonymous player who found a speakeasy dedicated to preserving video games in case games get made illegal. This was around Jack Thompson, if you need, like, what era of gamer internet we are. Right. And you play alongside the Heavy from TF2, Max from Sam and Max, Strong Bad, and Tycho, the guy in the blue shirt from Penny Arcade. Yes. (laughs) And uh, while the poker was kind of, you know, just a generic poker game, the dialogue system that, Rodkin and Vanneman worked with was very innovative because they had so many challenges because they're trying to replicate the feeling of casual conversation at a poker table, but that casual conversation is interrupted, you know, because you got to play your cards, you got to, you know, get more cards, you got to fold, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, got to play fucking poker. And they were able to use new technology in the Telltale dialogue system to create more natural conversations that could be interrupted and responsive and remember what you've already said and what's already been said by other characters and working out the kinks in that was a huge boon to the conversation system in walking dead. And so it was a shitty project, but they, well, I don't know if it was shitty. A lot of people have pleasant memories of it. It's just 
I watched footage of it, and like it's so weird seeing Strong Bad, a talking rabbit, a Russian guy. So weird. I was just looking at pictures of it. It just really took me sending back to. T- I was like transported to the year 2010 against my will watching footage of that game. Well, now let's take a trip to 2011. Ta- Telltale Games announces two deals: one with Warner Brothers that they they got them the rights to the Fables comic book series. And another for the Walking Dead comic series that had also recently got a live action adaptation in the works with AMC. This is like right before Walking Dead took over everything. Robert Kirkman, creator of the Walking Dead franchise and writer of the comic, had played the Strong Bad game and appreciated their approach to storytelling. Kirkman said, When Telltale came and told me about the way that making decisions changed the game and the way the players would be forced to choose between two bad decisions and how the survival aspect of The Walking Dead would actually be brought to the forefront, that's when I was sold on the game. Again, characters could die, and this, based on the choices you make in the game, therefore survivors in one player's game could be quite different from another's. They also added the feature of seeing the choices other players made to highlight this, and that was a big one. I remember now that's like so normal in an, in an adventure game where, you know, 60% of the player base chose to kill Lucas, you know, or whatever it is. Um, Literally, nobody chose to save Doug. <laughs> Poor Doug. The main characters, Lee and Clementine, served as a symbol of how powerful Telltale Games' character development can get. And this game is a massive hit, as we said before. The game sells 1 million copies in 20 days. It earns the company $40 million in revenue on just The Walking Dead's first season alone. And it leads to the development on more Walking Dead games with 400 Days, Season 2, Michonne, A New Frontier, and the infamous final season, which we will talk about more depth as it is severely affected by the collapse of the company. So, okay, we're getting into The Walking Dead, which is the reason for the season, the reason why we know this. The logic behind Fables and The Walking Dead is that they were the two best-selling comic book titles of that era that weren't already owned by Marvel or DC. They were the best licenses they could get for this target demographic. Since the beginning, Telltale was actively courting the uh, E3 audience. They would always have booths at uh, comic book expos, and they were definitely trying to cater to that online loot crate kind of uh, audience. And I almost want to do an episode on Loot Crate because it keeps it keeps it's the definitive aesthetic for 2010 nerds. Vanneman and Rodkin were literally shown the email that the deal had been signed by one of the marketing guys. And just and the marketing guy just casually was like, hey, you guys want in on this? And they were like, sure. And that's how they got put on the project. Uh, They filled out reams and reams of butcher block paper trying to build out the world trying to build the dialogue tree you know it wasn't written like a novel it was written like a video game and they you know so they're like okay we introduce this this character we have a scene where this happens then we introduce the gun mechanics then we introduce the cursor mechanics then we introduce the dialogue mechanics you know they're just putting things into place as it's being developed the marketing at the time made it seem like Robert Kirkman was like on the ground floor working with them, but that's not really true. There was like a couple of meetings where Vanneman and Rodkin would you know, show him what they're working on. And they say like, hey, we don't think we should use your existing story because uh, part of the gameplay is going to be built around choices. And if people already know your story, they know what the choices are to make. And Kirkman famously said like, yeah, don't use Rick. That'd be boring. And so they're just kind of, really sussing out 
how to make this game different. If you play the game, the it really doesn't play like an old graphic adventure game, really unlike anything else. There's very few moments where you're just kind of stuck twiddling your thumbs looking through your inventory. It plays very much like a interactive movie, and the big kind of oh shit thing is the decision points. Because what is the... And that emerges from the property. What is The Walking Dead if not watching people under increasingly dire circumstances having to make tough decisions and then living with the unforeseen consequences? It was just a natural deal. Originally, they wanted the character of Lee to be Clementine's brother, but they eventually worked that out because the exposition... Because you need a lot of exposition, and it doesn't make sense that these two characters who've known each other their entire lives would have to sit down and be like... Man, I sure do love being your brother that you were born in 1996 and I was born in 1989. That was, you know, that just that's just grinds the game to a halt, but having Lee learn about Clementine and having Clementine in turn learn about Lee means that the viewer gets to learn about both these characters in a more naturalistic way. Everything from the ex-con thing, you know, it's they're making these very practical decisions and with the added bonus that The Walking Dead is unlike any of the more wacky properties that they've been working with. This isn't Strong Bad. This isn't Sam and Max. They're getting to tell more adult stories. And the sad thing is, at this point, not a lot of people need wacky pirate adventures anymore. (laughs) I know, Jake. It must be unfortunate for you. No, the audience that grew up with (laughs) wacky pirate adventures are now in their late teens, early 20s, and they want some fucking adult, mature storytelling. And the people that are too young to remember Wacky Pirate Adventures have no nostalgia for Wacky Pirate Adventures, so they weren't going to buy Wacky Pirate Adventures in the first place. You know, uh, Walking Dead was a real demographic choice that they made, and it paid off wonderfully because the audience that they'd been chasing this entire time, they'd finally caught up to them. Mm-hmm. It also helps that this show, this uh, property had a massive TV show with even more hype than anybody could have ever imagined. And, and like hype that even they couldn't have, I don't think, foresaw because it grew exponentially all at once. It, yeah. So the TV show was getting super hyped. The subject matter was aligned with where their demographic actually was. The digital distribution platforms that they had been chasing and trying to build this entire time finally caught up with like Xbox Live and the PlayStation Store. And on top of everything else, Rodkin and Vanaman had no oversight. The product mm. was actually super rushed out the door because Jurassic Park was such a fiasco and there was very little time for executive meddling. So they got to release something with a way more singular voice than the usual Telltale output which had a very specific hierarchy of what got made, what made it past uh, iterant stages, and what got added in post. So there was no room to hold them back. They got to play to the height of their intelligence. Whatever shit they thought would be cool got in the game. Yep, just perfect time, perfect place, perfect situation. And that's all going to lead to the perfect fuck fest that will... The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Wick nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.
In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> Here's what former head of creative communications jo- Job Stoffer had to say. I'm sorry, his name? I believe it's Job? Is it Job or Joe? Did I mistype that? I, I just really want to live in a world where head of marketing Job Stoffer is running around. Either way, this is what he had to say. Telltale was having grand mainstream success for the first time. With that rise came more cash, more capital, more talent wanting to come join our team in a period of rapid growth. Before the November 2017 layoffs, we had upwards of about 400 people. We were already a mid-tier development studio in 2012, and it quadrupled in size by 2018. Now they have a ton of investors and a board of directors hungry for more and more growth, hungry for another Walking Dead Season 1. Bruner said, We wanted bigger and more interesting licenses, so we had bigger and more interesting market opportunities. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't go backward. We didn't want The Walking Dead to be a fluke or to be a one-hit wonder. The next game they put out, The Wolf Among Us, based on the comic series The Fables, is another decent hit for the comic. I saw different things. Is it a big hit? It's not a big hit, right? It's, it's not as big of a license. It's It just is not as big of a license. People were really positive about it, though. I think at the end of the day, Wolf Among Us, besides Walking Dead Season 1, might be the best thing they put out. It's not the best selling, but it's always got really good reviews, always got people behind it, excited for the next thing. There's a fun thing that doing this research I noticed, which is... Walking Dead was winning all of these goaties. Game of the Year. They won the Video Game Awards. They won the BAFTA Awards. And every time there's Sean and Jake are in the front trying to thank people. And you see Kevin Bruner just like, just with his dumb goatee, just like kind of hidden behind people trying to shuffling to get on camera. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So this leads to a giant licensing grab on the company's part, collecting up franchises such as Game of Thrones, Minecraft, Batman, and Guardians of the Galaxy. CEO Kevin Bruner, with his big dumb goatee in an interview in 2016, said, We basically built the studio to handle up to four Telltale series at the same time with a little extra for special projects. The productions are staggered, so each project is in a different stage at any time. Pretty much everyone here ends up working on every project at some point. So our biggest challenge is coordinating how the projects are flowing through the studio. Last year, we really put so much work into that aspect of the studio. And I think you'll see that payoff with this year's lineup. (laughs) Things change in hindsight, don't they? Their last triumph before the curtain started to fall was Minecraft Story Mode, which did become their best-selling series. But I remember when Batman was coming out. And I remember when you know, Guardians and all these things started coming out. And I remember the lukewarm response to all these different properties and the fatigue people were having, not just with the approach to story and the mechanics of these games, but also people are starting to talk and say, it's really glitchy. And people are having issues with their save file getting fucked over. And they're on episode three of you know, five or whatever it is. And they're pissed, you know? And and just everything's feeling, starting to already feel out of date and weirdly 
just not with the times, which is surprising when you look at it because of how simple their games are. That you would think, oh, these people would have the best looking, the best feeling mechanically. And that all really comes down to their engine in a lot of ways. And also, this whole quote that I just read, their approach to team building mixed with workflow mixed with pipeline, they're just totally out of their element, all, uh, like immediately after scooping up all of these licenses. If they had just focused on like two licenses, it would be a completely different story. But they also have a, 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 a team of 400. And, you know, I don't think they ever understood how to manage a team of 400 people. I think it's just, it is the bloated whale in the ocean about to explode. You know what I mean? Full of gas, right? Full of hot air. So let's get into the internal struggles at the company at this time. Because a quote that stuck with me in uh, one of the many posthumous articles... Uh, this one was from The Verge, uh, Telltale Games developer layoffs toxic video game industry. <laughs> one former Telltale developer put it nicely. Nine women can't make a baby in one month. <laughs> the focus on quality start to shift and let's just get as many episodes out as we can became the de facto wisdom. An anonymous source said the pace at which the studio operated was both an amazing feat and its biggest problem. Executives would often ask teams to rewrite, redesign, recast, and reanimate up until the very last minute without properly adjusting the schedule. The demands on production only became more intense with each successive release, and at some point, you just don't have anything left to give. And this is even worse for... A promise, so so the, the buyer buys the season pass, expecting to get all this stuff to release. You know, it's, it's not like they pre-ordered one game and that one game gets getting, keeps getting pushed back. It's that they ordered, essentially, five games <laughs> ahead of time with a promised release schedule of a, that is consistent, and when that falls apart, they're going to be pissed. And if it doesn't fall apart, they're probably going to get a really shitty product because nobody can push out that much product and make it quality so they have so many team people on the team and on top of that people are getting switched out all the time because there's crunch because these even though they're falling behind a lot of times they still are trying to get things out in a regular schedule so you could be working on one project and then you get the email from someone you don't know who's the lead on some other project who says your manager just said you have to go work on something else People are working, you know, 12-hour, 16-hour days. Another thing is there's creative stagnation going on because, you know, a lot of people are being very uh, politically safe, but it seems like uh, Kevin Bruner, who was the dev guy, got put in charge at the CEO position after Dan Connors stepped down, and he was not as good of managing such a big company. He was the guy who felt fun getting to make adventure games with all these fun people when it was a team of 10. And he still wanted that same level of I'm the boss, but we're all playing together input that he had when it was a much smaller team. And if I want to be real psychoanalysis, he was kind of pissed off that Vanaman and Rodkin immediately fucked off after season one of The Walking Dead to start Campo Santo. Uh, and f they ended up making Firewatch together along with a bunch of other very talented people. Which which is great. 
Bruner said you weren't going to talk to HBO and say we're going to run a big new experiment on Game of Thrones. Instead, we would say we're going to do what we did the, uh, with The Walking Dead for you. And, the, and he also said The Walking Dead was a double-edged sword. You can't duplicate Game of the Year over and over again. But there was a lot of pressure to duplicate Walking Dead. But Walking Dead was a risk. And it paid off. And now this company is risk averse because of The Walking Dead. And I was talking to Jake before this. They also suffered from company identity crisis. They're they're both trying to be this small, boutique, risk-taking, interesting company while also being this massive AAA game company. But a AAA game company doesn't release games like a Telltale game. And, And so they're just... They're spread out all over the board with no clear direction at this point. Well, they did. Well, they did have a direction. And I think one of the fallacies was that they spent 10 years trying to crack the code of Mm -hmm. how to make adventure games for the new era, how to make adventure games that worked on console, on mobile, on everything. And they never quite cracked it until Walking Dead. And so the answer, they did the innovation. They figured yeah, it out. They figured it, it out. Ha- and everything has to be like Walking Dead. And, and they couldn't, re- they just can't recreate that. Especially well, they when they could don't recreate to- it, but people didn't like could, it. Okay, actually, here's the correction. They could recreate it if they hadn't bought everybody and their brother's licenses and, tr- and promised a bunch of releases to all these different people. I think they could have continued to have success if they had just said, we're going to focus on these two licenses, or even this one license, and we're going to make the best fuck, and we're also going to take a little time, rebuild our engine, or, or you know, move to a new engine. They never did that until it was oh, too well, late. The engine thing is, there's a reason behind that. Uh, a lot of sources talk about it. Uh, Bruner, even, in a interview, uh, talks about it. And it basically boils down to, this entire company was built on this engine. The entire workflow from writing scripts to putting in audio to making the cinematics are all tied on this very finicky, unique system. And to retrain everybody to use a new engine would mean that nobody is working on games and they're still on the hook for all these games. And Game of Thrones and Tales from the Borderlands and Guardians of the Galaxy are all big financial failures uh, and so they they don't have time anymore. They And they've made all these promises. Bruner said, we couldn't shut the business down and not ship a game for months and months or a year to transition the technology. And the problem with the Telltale tool, though, was it was slowing things down terribly for them because it was solid in terms of game writing, but it had no physics system. So if some kind of action sequence were to happen in-game, it all had to be created by hand, which took way too much effort and constricted further the developer's approach to game making. So yes, they couldn't... So they were at rock and a hard place. They couldn't stop everything and switch everybody to use, let's say, Unreal or something like that. And at the same time, the engine they were using was actually slowing them down almost as badly. So so it was just lose-lose in every way. So in order to correct this, Telltale, which I think this is the ultimate oh, you guys fucked up move. What were there's we one say? more thing. Uh, in the Noclip documentary, uh, one of the former employees talks about a harrowing review process that every game episode had to go through where... All the executives and members of the board would sit and watch, not play, watch as someone else like went through that finished episode and there would be tons of notes and it was always, it would always just squash any risk because when you think about what people really liked about the Walking Dead game, when you actually point out the moments that stand out, 
a lot of it is character stuff. Uh-huh. Just like a shit kicking conversation with Kenny or a heartfelt moment with uh, Clementine. Everybody, the one of the most famous moments is just uh, Lee walks up to Clementine and is like, what's wrong with Duck? And Clementine's like, he says I put a bug on his pillow. And then Lee's like, did you? And Clementine just waits a pause and just goes, yeah. Like all these like cute little <laughs> quiet moments that made these characters real and enjoyable and made yeah. your role in that story so much more immersive. That's just dead air in a, you know, a room full of suits who are watching yeah. on an overhead projector. Right. And so all these so risks and character moments and quiet moments were buffed out from executive kind of uh, meddling. And that created a very, how do I say this, identical product where the Game of Thrones game and the Batman game and all the other one and the Guardians of the Galaxy game all kind of just felt the same, just with different coats of paint. So this is the beginning, true beginning of the indecision by the company, in my opinion. In order to try to correct all of this, Telltale doubles down with its release schedules, which I think is a massive mistake. This leads to employees regularly working 80-hour weeks with big changes needing to happen with a game to ship just a week later. Narrative designer for Telltale Games, Emily Grace Buck, had this to say about working with Kevin Bruner. He was known for asking for extremely large changes, very close to ship date, that would mandate crunch for a huge percentage of the studio, which is obviously not ideal. Yet, at the same time, he was under a lot of pressure from the board that wanted certain types of products to come out. Punishments for mistakes or even just disagreements with upper management had often severe consequences. Buck said there was definitely a culture of fear, for a long time at Telltale, especially when Kevin Bruner was still working there. If they didn't like what you had done, even if it was exactly what they were asked for, they had asked for, the chances of you being kicked off a project or demoted were extremely high. And so this is when a mass exodus began of Telltale Games' best talent, including the project leads on The Walking Dead Season 1, Veneman and Rodkin, and uh, they go off to, as we mentioned, make Firewatch, which is a great, fun indie game. Writer Adam Hines, Tales from the Borderlands uh, writer. He goes on to make Oxen Free, another great indie game. By the way, notice this trend. They're all going to set up their own small indie house to make passionate little games. And that's what Telltale, if they had figured out how to balance a giant corporation entity with that, they could have figured it out. But obviously, they clash too much in that sense. And The Walking Dead's design director, David Gross, Dave Grossman, who moved over to Day of the Tentacle Remastered, which is a beloved remaster of that old game. Absolutely. So if you're getting weird panic flashbacks, this is like a prototypical toxic workplace yeah. where whoever's left at the job feels like trauma bonded to all their coworkers. You can't take any vacation because then you're just fucking over everyone that you now care about because you're trapped. You're spending hour after hour after hour with these people. They're sucking sounds like your life Jake, out. Sounds like you're triggered a little bit uh, from all this going on. This is whether you're <laughs> temping, whether you're working in any sort of media job, whether you even at the insurance place, Holden. Ugh, the, stop. You know, just, in addition to that, because Telltale only uses the their proprietary engine to do all their workflow, anybody you bring on to hire has a massive learning curve and their work is going to be substandard as they try and get accustomed to it. They were just in too deep 
like a year before. Like they were had been in, in too deep for like two years at this point. There's no getting out. And they're using, by the way, Minecraft and Walking Dead are the only two financial successes for them. Everything else is is in the red. So all of the money they're operating off of besides those two games are is investor money. Essentially money they don't have. You know, money that other people have that are expecting these big releases and it's all falling short. So they're just so in the red. An interview. I know we're running along, but an interview with Game Informer uh, with Kevin Bruner, who is made out to be the baddie in this story. But, you know, I, he's almost sympathetic in this interview. But yeah, this, I, I, yeah, I agree. This chunk really upsets me because it feels like so many times that like, you know, a workplace takes advantage of you. He says, Telltale was a different kind of studio. I always think it's like Saturday Night Live, right? You're a writer and a performer, and you have to write a show a week. The curtain goes up no matter how ready you are, dot, dot, dot. He goes on to talk about how, you know, people say we got beat up pretty hard or, you know, it's not that, uh, you know, we weren't that great to work for. But we really made um, a lot of opportunities for people who were new in the business, and we got them to work on things they're proud of. So that's pretty good, right? Like, you know, they're saying, like, you should be thankful. Just be happy you're working for here. Eventually, he does in the interview just talk about how he wasn't over his head and he really wasn't fit to uh, manage a company of 400 people with the same yeah. kind of familiarity and comfort that he had managed, you know, nine people. But yeah. <laughs> the idea that, like, you know, you're working in exposure. Aren't you passionate about this? Like, hey, you know, isn't it great how we're all talented and struggling together? Like, oofy doofy. And it really speaks to the fact that, you know, if your job isn't unionized, you can fall real prey to stuff like this, where there's no one to kind of, you can't just stop and say, all right, we need better pay, we need better vacations, we need to be taken care of. And it just kind of, it just, it just makes me hurt to see just how this company was able to just keep plodding along and keep making mistakes without like the taking into account the human cost of stuff. So CEO Kevin Bruner steps down in early 2017, replaced by Pete Howley. They partner with Netflix to make a Stranger Things game, as well as a Netflix port of Minecraft Story Mode. Which you when can Netflix still play. Is trying to get into the, yeah, you can, and Netflix trying to get into the video game market in a weird way. They also set The Walking Dead, the final season, as the last game made by the old engine, with Stranger Things being made on Unity. However, later that year, they laid off 25% of their staff, and suddenly, in 2018, investors AMC, Smilegate, and Lionsgate pulled their funding, which was the true beginning of the end for the studio. The, the true, essentially, more not, less the beginning end, more the nail in the coffin. After this happens, without even a day's notice, Telltale does the shittiest thing they could possibly do and lays off all but 25 employees, as it begins its studio closure, 225 employees were laid off without any severance or notice. That is such a shitty fucking thing. There are lawsuits. We'll talk about it in a second. But awful move by the company. Job Stoffer, uh, former head of creative. No, his name is Job Stoffer, unless I have miswritten his name twice. It's just a fun name. It's just a real fun name. Job Stoffer, former head of creative communications, said this. It should never have happened. And it should never happen again. And I honestly believe that this closure, as big of a disaster as it is, is the death rattle of the way we produce and create video games. Bruner actually found out about the layoffs just eight hours before it happened, said, I was completely taken by surprise at the closure. It was unthinkable to me that the studio would shut down. 
The notion that you would go full speed and then stop was just unfathomable to me. It's certainly not how I run a business. I don't know the details of the weeks that led up to that decision and how that decision was made, but I don't know how you don't at least give people two weeks. Yeah, dude, that's fucking horrible. A skeleton crew stays on with the company to complete Minecraft story mode. However, one of the story, uh, one of the skeleton story crew mode members, for Netflix for Netflix. One of the skeleton crew members, narrative designer Rachel Noel, tweeted this on October 4th, 2018. Hey, remember how there was going to be a skeleton crew staying on for a while and I was a part of it? Nah, JK. We all just got laid off, too. Um. Cool. So the final season, the infamous final season, many fans were outraged that they thought that they bought a season pass for The Walking Dead and were looking at not having a full release alongside the studio closure. Unfortunately, and and gaming fan, if you're listening to this and you were a part of this, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Unfortunately, this led to a bunch of angry gamers hitting up people who had just gotten laid off via their Twitter account to threaten them and harass them about this. The poor people had already been laid off. It's completely out of their hands. It's a really dick move. Don't do stuff like that. The original IP... Holder, however, Skybound Games announced in late 2018 that they would be finishing the series with some of the remaining Telltale staff, quote, to finish the story in a way the fans deserve. Epic Games also helps with the completion of the season. And episodes three and four, the final episodes, were released at the beginning of 2019 to close out the series. So at least it did get finally finished. At least some of the Telltale employees got a little bit more work. During a difficult time, they actually went back to their old Telltale offices to finish that game because it was wow. the only office space available to them. Damn, yeah. I did not know that, Jake. That must have been so awful and weird. And yes, there are lawsuits. CEO Kevin Bruner is suing the company after being forced out. Also, ex-employee Vernie Roberts is filing a class action lawsuit regarding the closure, stating that Telltale violated labor laws by not giving employees any notice of termination until the day of. It's a very complicated case. I will just say, unfortunately, state laws conflict with federal laws when it comes to this sort of thing. So it's not very clear whether this issue will be vindicated I hope it does, though. I hope that these people get a little bit of recompense. I can't believe they didn't get any severance. Like, okay, if you're going to do last minute like that, you have to give a severance. Or if you're going to, you know, or vice versa. Like, come on, man. Like, that is so shitty. I mean, they were running on investor money. Uh, The last CEO, Howley, spent his entire time just meeting with any VC that he could to just keep the company afloat. And if you're... and. If you're out of money, you're out of money. There's nothing, you know, can't yeah. come from nothing. I guess that's true. So that's the story. That's the rise and fall of Telltale Games. And it really, I think, is a very interesting story about companies getting too big for their britches, about over-investing, about, uh, about awful workflows in the video game industry, about how, you know, the, if there was a video game union... Uh, a game developers union, uh, something like that in place. This would be much harder for them to do to people, uh, th- this type of laying people off. So uh, please, let's all fight more for a union to happen in the industry. It is so long coming. It is so necessary. The crunches are too much. People are being overworked. And there's just so many little micro tales happening within this one story of Telltale. You know, it's about, it's about, over overworking your employees and which is a huge issue it's about you know 
indie studios versus giant AAA studios. This one tried to do something in between. And corporate greed and watering down uh, risks in art. There's so much shit going on here. And so I was dying to do this story. I learned so much. Are you saying that the lesson of Telltale Games is that your choices have consequences? Ah, yes. (laughs) There it is. That's it. That's the thesis statement. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. If you'd like to support us further, check us out, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly episodes for just $5 a month, a little bit of bonus there. It helps us keep the lights on. Please consider helping us out on Patreon. Also, check me out, twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorsho. Jake! If you want to hear two dudes talk up for 40 minutes about the Snyder Cut and what that means for our reality, you really should check out that Patreon. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young, and uh, you'll see and witness all of my thought poops. Fantastic. And hey, always remember never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. The legends are true. Overwhelming power! Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.